Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, if you're looking for a great place to, to manage your salespeople's contacts as well as their deals that they're working, check out Arrow at heyarrow.com and look into their great products there. As normal, I have Sean Hackett on here with me, and for whatever reason, I thought today was Wednesday. It's obviously Thursday, or Sean wouldn't be on the podcast. Don't know if I, why I want to replay Wednesday again, but nonetheless, Sean is here with us. Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good on a uh, Thursday. Thursday. <laughs> All day long, Thursday. Full day. That's what I was told. That's yeah. what I was told. So. <laughs> right on. Right on. Well, Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and Sean is always gracious enough to come on and talk about what's going on in the marketplace. And, you know, Sean, typically on Thursday, we talk about, you know, what's going on in the soft market, kind of hit the coffee market, those kind of things. But before we get there, there was one topic that I wanted to hit on a little bit and kind of reiterate what we've been talking about, which is no big surprise to anybody out there at this point. But there, I was reading an article this morning that there was a uh, uh, global food prices have hit ten-year uh, highs, and so we're talking about that inflation. We talked about a little bit of inflation um, uh, last time you're on. I had uh, recorded a, a podcast with Rich Poston that I'll be putting out here in uh, next day or two uh, to put that out there. And we spent a lot of time talking about inflation. Um, I, I guess as you take a look at what's going on in the marketplace. You know, especially like you just got back from your coffee tour in Brazil where you're anticipating some short crop this year. So basically everything that we've got so far this year is going to be a short crop. Um, it's not so much that the bushels aren't going to be there, but it's the quality of the bushels that I think is going to be the biggest impact on the market. So you, you take this high inflation that we're seeing now, you take um, shortages around everywhere else, and, and it's just we're kind of setting the table for just higher prices going through 2022 into 23. Well, I think you have to remember, uh, Casey, a year ago, so many producers in so many different ag markets sold a lot of supply cheap. And so they did not benefit from all this increase in price. In fact, right. you know, they, they locked in a much, much lower price. And now all their expenses are going through the roof. Yes. And so what's happening is they realize they made a terrible mistake. And now whatever supplies they haven't sold, they are holding on very tight-fisted because they're saying, hey, you know what? 
I screwed up. I didn't get the income I needed. I'm not in great shape. I need to make the, the current supply I still have from last year's harvest you know, go as far as I can. And so I'm going to be much tighter fisted on the supply than I was a year ago. That's the first thing. Second thing, obviously, with all the problems with weather, with all the problems with uh, delivery delays and logistical delays and people not getting things what they, when they want it, um, the markets, we talked about this last time, the market's worried about the security of supply. They want more on hand than they had before, and they want to get it now. Um, and so it's causing this extra demand base to come in beyond what's actually needed because every country, every government, every consumer is saying, you know what, I, I, I just feel uncomfortable. I want to have a little more food on hand because I'm not comfortable with what's going on here, especially as we go into what could be you know, a pretty long, cold winter. So that's the second thing going on. Um, and then the third thing uh, that's really going on is you have, um, how can I say, you, you kind of have this uh, post-virus government monetary policy response, meaning, you know, trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars are have been or going to be spent Trillions upon trillions of dollars have been and will continue to be printed all in reaction to, you know, the pandemic, the shutting down of the economies. And we, quite frankly, we, we did more on monetary and fiscal policy in the last two years than we, than we probably would have done over the next 15. And so that is just an amazing Experiment. I call it an experiment because we quite frankly we've never really done it before, unless it was in wartime. And so all that's going on, that's making people losing confidence in the purchasing power of their money and losing confidence in the governments that they are citizens of. And so when you lose confidence in your purchasing power and in the government that you that supposedly is representing you. You take your money and you put it to work. You put it in stocks. You put it in real estate. You put it in commodities. You put it somewhere that uh, is, is away from the cash side of the aisle. And so from the investment capital flows perspective, we're seeing a lot of money going into assets um, and away from cash, bonds, and government entities. And so that's that, that trifecta, for lack of a better term, is really driving this inflationary period. And I really don't see right now anything that's going to shift this in 2022. In fact, most of the things we see, Casey, are actually going to accelerate these trends um, in 22. Yep. So. The fertilizer thing is getting to, getting to the point where it's getting to be a big deal. We had some some conversations with customers just the other day that we were talking about, you know, what your mix is going to look like with the way fertilizer is. And they were, you know, we might try some soybeans. And soybeans aren't a big deal out here. I mean, they're, they're kind of slowly growing because of the altitude and those kind of things. But they're slowly, slowly kind of making their way. More and more people are testing. There's some different varieties out there that are working um, out here. And, and there's some guys that said, you know, we might try might try more soybeans. We might uh, might plant some more wheat than we typically have in the past, and those kind of things. So it's just that crop mix is starting to really play into some decision making for some people. And you know, there's some folks that are just corn on corn on corn, and that's just is what it is, and that'll continue to be that way. But it will be uh, 
it'll be interesting to see what that crop mix looks like as we move into that into that March perspective acres report and what that looks like. Well, of course, a lot will have to do with what what, what do prices do between now yeah. and then. You know, does yep. corn go to seven before then? Uh, is it stay in the mid fives? You know, our work uh, suggests that you know low to mid five December twenty two corn will not deliver the acres and will not deliver the yield that will not deliver on the kind of fertilizer usage that will be required to produce a big crop. So either the market's going to wait uh, for that reality and then take off or the market's going to start to take off to try to avoid that reality. Usually the market's supposed to be forward looking. And so our anticipation is that the market might start moving up. Um, remember the February Time frame is when insurance premiums are set or the price for crop insurance is set. I would think the market's going to want to set a pretty high number so that farmers are comfortable, you know, that they're insured for a higher number and it gives them confidence maybe to put that, you know, to put that expensive crop out there more than they would be willing to today. That's our speculation. We'll find out. But, uh, but, but under no circumstances is low to mid fives going to work. Uh, on, under most circumstances that we're looking for. And so we continue to believe that livestock producers you know, should be looking out at those deferred corn prices and be looking to lock it in, especially on any corrections we may see, because there's always going to be setbacks in markets along the way. We just think that's a really, really great value for long-term feed needs right now. Right on. So. All right. Um, so let's jump over here and talk about milk for just a little bit, what that looks like. So, um, Milk had a pretty good run, you know, and it was like everything else we've kind of seen a jump up when it was kind of down there. But here lately, it's been in that eighteen to nineteen dollar range, which you know that's that's a profitable range for most dairies. We start looking at um, how you know how the, the market works and, and those kind of things, but it's it's been falling off uh, dramatically here over the last you know week or so. So I guess talk about the dairy market a little bit and see what you, what's what's going on there. <clears throat> I think we need to like separate the long-term picture mm -hmm. from the short-term picture. Okay. Uh, we just put out a dairy report beginning of the week, um, and we actually turned a little bearish for the first time, and we put out major buy recommendations in July and August, and we suggested we thought that Class 4 and Class 3 could approach that $19 number, and it's exactly what it has done. So we, you know, we kind of got that forecast pretty solid. We're worried, though, that the market might have gotten a little ahead of itself here, that we may, or you know, that we could be setting up for a uh, a correction here into the first quarter. Seasonally, the milk market likes to do that. If 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 you kind of look at the historical buying patterns of China, they tend to buy most of their uh, milk powder in the fourth quarter, and then they walk away. So there's a reason why we have this this seasonality of peaks in the fourth quarter and then falling off into the first quarter. Um, there is a shortage of milk in China. They are buying a lot. We are seeing the prices rise, but we kind of feel when you look at the historical pattern and the historical resistance, 19 level, a little over 19, we, we think this is probably not going to be exceeded right now. We're wildly bullish, by the way, dairy prices into spring, summer, and fall. So I don't want anyone to think that we're not long-term bullish. We are, but we do think we could have some kind of, like say, a 50% correction of the rally that took place before we set the stage for a much, much more dynamic move to the upside where we take out that 1920 scenario and potentially go to new all-time highs here in the dairy situation. So we're suggesting, and we did suggest earlier in the week, that dairy producers might want to 
think about protecting this price into the first quarter. Uh, not a major, not a major deal, but just be careful not to get caught selling unprofitable milk in the first quarter. We think there's a risk, and already class three prices, by the way, have broken hard here the last couple of days. Um, so it looks like may maybe class three is already beginning to do that, whereas class four so far has held its ground. But uh, but we're pretty pretty comfortable that that's something dairy producers ought to be thinking about. Okay. So here's a market that I only thing I know that it's that I'm gonna get I'm getting out of it is is chocolate and hot chocolate, um, the cocoa market. Talk to me a little bit about that and explain its importance on on the overall market spectrum. Cocoa is very unique. Seventy percent of all production is grown in two countries: Ivory Coast and Ghana, and in oh. Western Africa. Okay. Everyone else really doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Right on. All right. <laughs> I mean, it just it just it just doesn't matter. It's just that those two countries, and it's very unusual to have just such a small little area control the whole thing. But that's the way it is. Um, so, La Nina historically tends to be good for West African cocoa production. It tends to bring in good moisture. It tends to be good, and we've had some very good crops the last few years. And so we continue to have. Good weather in West Africa, um, uh, and that's and of course we've had all this. You know, chocolate isn't necessarily uh, you know the first thing you're going to go stockpile, right? <laughs> if you're worried about food, you're going to you know, <laughs> right? It, it, it's it's a luxury yeah. item, right? Right. I mean, yep. So, so, um, so demand is you know is improving like everything else, but it's I don't know. I just don't. I just I, th I think in a situation where inflation is contracting the disposable income and purchasing power of consumers, I just don't think chocolate is getting on top of the list right now. And so demand is okay but sluggish, and you have good production. That, that means a market going nowhere, and the market's been going nowhere. It's been stuck in a kind of a sideways trade. So so what's going to change that? What's going to change that? Well, given that we don't really don't see the inflation side going getting any better, um, and given that we don't think the economic situation is going to get any better, demand is going to stay the way it is, which is kind of sluggish and growing slowly. So it's got to be production that's got to knock this market higher. And usually El Nino weather pattern is what catches Western African production. It brings in hot, dry weather at the wrong times when the tree crop is developing, um, you know, at, at the sensitive stage of pods and that sort of thing. And we believe we are, as we've been talking about, that La Nina is going to, going to go away come the spring and be done. We're not, you know, we, that, that'll be the end of the La Nina phase. And we believe that the, in the back half of next year, we're going to develop a, an El Nino uh, pattern. And so... That's kind of what we're looking for, Casey. We're kind of looking for when do we feel, A, the price is uh, established, you know, a low enough price to factor in the bearish part, and at what point are we willing to start making bets that the weather's going to start entering this hotter, drier phase? And so our best guess right now is sometime in the spring, we'd be interested in looking at the buy side of this market. Right now, we think... 
it's a trader's market. You buy the low end of the trading range, you sell the upper end of the trading range, you sell the upper end of the trading range, you buy the low end of the trading range. We're not, that's not what we do, Casey. You know, we're not channel trading. You know, that's not what we offer. We, we look for hedging opportunities for our producers, and we look for long-term trends. We tend to stay away from sideways trading markets. But that's where we think Cocoa is at. It's a very cheap market. It's a very interesting market. It's a market that we think has huge upside. But we still think it's a bit early yet to really take it seriously uh, you know, on the buy side. We think uh, it, it, we need a little more time. So, I understand. All right, let's talk about cotton for a minute. Cotton is still um, still up there. China is still you know, stockpiling um, as much cotton as they can get their hands on, quality cotton anyway, uh, that they can get their hands on. Um, going all over the world looking for it, and lo and behold, the United States is still one of the only places that you can get good high-quality cotton. Um, I know Australia's got it's got some action down there, but for the most part, they're still buying from us. So I guess as you take a look at that market, I think right now I'm looking at the market here. It looks like it's a uh, $1.18 a pound, so um, that's pretty impressive. So I guess as you look at that, I mean, how much higher can this go? Famous last words, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of like, you kinda like a, you know, just, just one more, you know, and then, you know. <laughs> I mean, right now, what we, what happened, what's happened, we triggered a commercial buying panic. What yep. that means is that the commercials got themselves bared up. They normally are right, but every once in a while, they get caught uh, misinterpreting the market. And so when your natural seller becomes a buyer in an uptrending market, you get the blow-off top. And that's what we've been involved in, this 90 cents to $1.20 blow-off top. The commercials are buying back in. Um, that typically is a very, very late. When that occurs, Casey, that's, that's like ninth inning kind of action. That yeah. happens at the, at the very end of a move, not the very beginning move. But you can get the most, you, you, the most dynamic part can happen at the very end before it blows his top off, and then, and then has a crash. So we're in the blow-off top phase. There is a, a person out there I'm aware of who's, who has the ability to tell anyone when a blow-off top is going to finally exhaust itself other than to recognize when you're in it. When we're in something like this, Casey, and I'm a producer, and I'm trying to decide what to do, first of all, you just have to decide, is $1.20 enough for you or not? I mean, even if it goes to $1.50, I mean... <laughs> you're doing rather well okay <laughs> to say the least <laughs> you're doing yeah. rather well but for those that say look i sold a bunch of cotton too cheap i didn't catch it right i still got a little cut left i want to go for the golden ring this is a good opportunity for put options as a producer it's a producer say look i, I want to stick it out you know, maybe it's going to go to two dollars again like it did back in 2010 11 12 well, who knows right so so I'm gonna, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I don't want to sell any more cash, but I, but obviously, you know, I don't want to give up this price either. This is a great opportunity to layer in some put options, to lay some floors under the market for your under your production, and to to go do it that way to keep the top side open and see if you can't catch a flyer on the remaining cash that you haven't sold. That's the only way I know how to handle a market like this. But understand, it is late in the game. And when you're looking at December 22 cotton, trading well over 90 cents, there's not a whole lot of times, Casey, that you had an opportunity <laughs> to lock in a, a plus 90 cent price a year ahead. Um, 
it's pretty, you know, it, I mean, this is good times for cotton producers. This is, this is happy times. This is good times. So they're very profitable. They can be very profitable. And, and I would just keep in mind how profitable you are and don't lose sight that, you know, high prices are going to bring a, a production response. Um, it's going to do it globally and is, and, and just keep that in mind. And, and, you know, once again, if you're uncomfortable doing the cash sales for 2022 yet, just buy some put options, get some floors on the market. Just don't get be stupid and not be unpriced when this market decides it wants to give up, you know, 10, 20 cents a pound really in a, in a hurry. Just don't be caught not having something protected on what are some pretty exciting prices right now. So, yep. all right. Last thing, oil, um, oil has had some pretty big volatility here of late. Uh, we're seeing two and $3 swings. Uh, and and the, during the day and overnight and those kind of things, it's it's over the eighty dollar mark, which you know hasn't been there for a while. Um, a lot of talk about oil getting to a hundred bucks and and higher and those kind of things around based on inflation. Um, Saudi Arabia and OPEC countries have also made it very clear that they're not going to let the oil price get so high that you know, basically um, United States competition um, can start. Climbing back into that, um, but with the current political environment we're in right now, it seems like that's really a non-factor. So I guess as you take a look at what's going on in oil, what are your thoughts there, especially as you start looking at you know, natural gas prices and all those kind of things? Well, you know, I mean, I, OPEC can say whatever they want. They're going to produce more oil at, the 80, at 80, 85. They're going to, sure, absolutely. They're, they're going to produce more oil. They're, go, they're going to sell that. Um, uh so, you know, don't listen to what they say. Watch what they eventually do. And they're going to sell a lot of, they're going to produce a lot of crude oil here. Um, but, you know, look, there's no way that the global economy is going to be robust with inflation running amok like it is right now with food and energy going up. Everyone's disposable income is being contracted. This is just, we worry about the demand side of the equation. Remember, heating oil to heat homes is, is for on a cold winter is only a portion of the demand for crude, right? I mean, diesel for trucking and diesel for, you know, and gasoline for cars. I just, I just worry that the demand side of the equation, Casey, is being um, overestimated right now. Um, and so I, I see, I, I kind of see the potential for demand falling off or disappointing here as we go into the first quarter while production picks up. And so I just I just have a hard time getting excited about an eighty or eighty five dollar number going to hundred. It could happen, you know. Certainly could happen, but I don't think so. I think more likely we'll make a run down to seventy or seventy five and take some pressure off um, and, and and kind of a, a, a deal with the potential for some falling off in demand. Of course, remember also if our if our winter forecast is correct. And you have a lot of blizzards and a lot of snow. That means a lot of less people are doing a lot less driving than they would have otherwise because they're going to be landlocked. I mean, you got to think about all these things, you know. So I'm just not excited about crude oil here. I just think it's topping out. We we got hit last couple of days. We're bouncing a little bit, but I just think we're in a topping pattern. And I would be worried about a break into the first quarter. So right on. Well. Good stuff as usual, Sean. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what Hackett Financial can do for them and their operation, what's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com, all kinds of uh, different 
pieces of information on there that goes over how we look at things, how we look at weather, our natural climate cycles, our capital flow algorithm to see if those tools may be of value to your listeners. All right. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, you'll find all the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast when they come out. They'll be there. Also go to movingironllc.com for all the latest news surrounding Moving Iron and the Moving Iron Summit, which information should be up there soon. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's move smart, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher